Take a seat. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Daniel 2. Uh, we'll be looking at the second half, to verses 25 through 49 tonight. If you're looking at the church Bibles, it's on page 691 and 692. It's also printed in uh, your service sheets uh, for your convenience. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, last week uh, we looked at the first half of this where King Nebuchadnezzar has uh, a bad dream. We'll, we'll talk a bit about the context uh, during the sermon, but, but he has this dream that, that really disturbs him. Um, but Daniel, uh, we'll see tonight, is able to come and to, to help him, to, to give him an interpretation of that dream. Uh, this is God's word, uh, Daniel 2, beginning in verses 25 and reading through verse 49 tonight. Uh, then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind." You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory, and to whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed, uh, as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. 
in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of all gods, and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. The musical Hamilton tells uh, the story of the founding of the United States through the, the eyes of, of Alexander Hamilton, who was a real historic figure. And the music, musical takes many liberties with uh, the, the founding of, of my, my country of birth, but it, it does capture a lot of the, the deep emotions felt at the, the time of the American Revolution. And it, and it portrays them through snappy musical numbers and jazz hands, which is just fun, isn't it? But one of the musical numbers is called The Room Where It Happens. And in, in, in it, uh, a man named Aaron Burr, Aaron, Aaron Burr excuse me, laments the fact that he's always locked outside of the room where, where the real decisions are made, the, the place where, where, where power is really held. He longs to be in the room where he has a say over, over his world, over, over the, the machinations of his country. And the song itself is a commentary on the lack of transparency in, in governments and the perceived backroom shenanigans that happen in politics all the time. Deep down, we all want to be in the room where it happens, to have some control over our lives and our destiny. And our situation in, in the modern Western world is, is very different from that of Daniel's day, isn't it? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king, was an absolute uh, power. He was a despot. Daniel uh, even acknowledges, though, that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar has this incredible power, doesn't he? Uh, verse 37, he's, he's calling him, him king of kings. He, he uses language almost uh, what you hear God refer to as in, in Scripture. No one was greater than Nebuchadnezzar in the empire that he led. Yet this story we've, we've been looking at the last uh, week and today is, is still ultimately about, about power and where it rests. It's ultimately about who's in control, who's in, who's in the room where it happens. And what we learn is it isn't always the person that we think. You'll remember that Nebuchadnezzar was having uh, dreams that troubled him because he, he knew that they meant something, but he had no idea what, what they were. And so he called his wise men and enchanters to him, and the, the best and brightest of all of Babylon come before the king. And they had... Uh, they, they had to, to uh, uh, offer, and they, they were, were required to both tell him what, what he had dreamed as well as what, 
what the dream had meant, what the interpretation was. And, and none of them were able to do it. In fact, they all said to him, there, there's no one who, who could possibly do this. And so he, he ordered all these men to be put to death because, they, uh, because no one could do what the king requested. So the king orders them all killed. And when his men come around to pick up Daniel, you'll remember, uh, Daniel requests more time to answer the king, doesn't he? You see, the, the gods of Babylon, we were, we were told, were, were silent, weren't they? They said that, that the, gods, the, the gods of Babylon uh, don't dwell amongst humans. They, they don't answer to flesh. But Daniel's God, Daniel goes and prays to his great God. And the answer is revealed to him. See, Daniel and, and his, his fellow exiles do the one thing that, that no one else was able to do in their culture. They were able to go before the one true God, the one who's above all and yet is at work in his world. And today we hear the answer to the question of what the king's dream contained and what those dreams meant. And answer, the, in the answer, we actually have underlined for us the theme of the whole book of Daniel, don't we? That the one true God is in control of all things. He holds the past, the present, and the future in his hands. And so his people need not fear no matter their circumstances. And there's three things for us to see this evening. We, we see, first of all, uh, God's message to a despot. Secondly, God's grace applied to a despot. And third, God's grace applied to his people. And so first, let's look at God's message to a despot. Daniel is, is brought in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king asks him, are you able to make known to me the, the dream and its interpretation? And uh, Daniel answers uh, actually in a very interesting way, doesn't he? He, he? he says pretty much the exact same words that we hear the, the wise men of Babylon say to the king. And these were words that, that had enraged the king, if you remember back to last week. Daniel says that, that no human, no wise man, no enchanter or magician or, or anyone else can do what the king asks. That's almost exactly word for word what we heard back in verse 10 from the wise men of Babylon. But with this key difference, the king's other counselors had said that the only, only the gods could reveal the answer, but the gods of Babylon don't interact with humans. Daniel, on the other hand, points to the one true God who reveals mysteries and has made known through the dreams what is going to happen in the future. Daniel emphasizes that, that this, this revelation has nothing to do with his personal wisdom or talents. What's been revealed has come directly from the, the God of the heavens, the God of the whole universe, for Nebuchadnezzar. And what has Nebuchadnezzar seen? He's, he sees this, this great image, doesn't he? It's, it's like a massive statue. And the statue has, has layers to it. The, the head is gold. The arms and, and chest are silver. The middle and thighs are bronze. The legs uh, are iron. And the, the feet are, are a mixture of clay and iron. And then he saw a rock that was, that was cut out and, and, and uh, thrown down. And it, it strikes the feet of the statue. And it crushes the, the whole statue. It's broken into pieces. And eventually is transformed into into to small fragments, chaff that's, that's blown away in the wind until there's nothing left except this rock which grew to fill the whole world. 
Now this would be a head scratcher for anyone, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if you dreamed this, you probably would just think, oh, I probably shouldn't have had that curry late last night, right? Daniel, however, tells the king that, that actually God wanted him to know what was about to happen. He wanted him to have some understanding of the, the world. And the interpretation's a bit flattering for Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? At least on the surface it appears to be. You know, his kingdom's the head of gold. It's at the very top. It's the, the, the most precious of all the metals in the statue. Everything that comes after just kind of gets less and less good, doesn't it? After his kingdom, there's going to be another kingdom that comes along, and it's, it's also really powerful. It, it's great. It's, it's represented by silver. It's the, the arms and the chest. I mean, silver, we'd still take silver, wouldn't we? I mean, most of the Olympians are really happy to, to get a silver medal, aren't they? Now, there's always uh, differing op- opinions on which... What, what these king, different kingdoms uh, mean or what they, which ones they, they apply to, the different parts of the statue. What, what actual kingdoms in history do they represent? So I'll give you my opinion. And it's just my opinion, but I got it from Sinclair Ferguson. And so if you know who Sinclair Ferguson is, then you know that, that my opinion, which was revealed to me by him, is pretty safe. So the kingdom of silver would likely be the Medo-Persian empire that followed the Babylonian Empire. Then there was the, the Kingdom of Bronze, which would likely be the, the Greek Empire that took over so much of the world that, that Alexander the Great actually wept because he ran out of places to conquer. And the last kingdom is, is described in more detail because it's, it represents an, an important turning point in the history of the world. This kingdom would be the one that would experience the breaking in of the Kingdom of God fully. The kingdom of iron would appear more powerful and stronger than any of the others. But its fragility was was actually built into it, wasn't it? And it would be exposed for all the world to see. This is, of course, the the Roman Empire. And it was in the time of the Roman Empire when God would send his son, the the rock hewn by no human hands, to begin to establish his kingdom that that would fill the whole earth. It would be eternal. It would be a kingdom without end. So the dream and its interpretation are, are actually simple ones in hindsight, aren't they? It's a, it's a testament actually to the, the simplicity and accuracy of, of seemingly complex prophecies. Things that, that, uh, that, that boggled the mind of, of Nebuchadnezzar was something actually quite straightforward. It should comfort us actually to know that, that the, the things that God revealed would be fulfilled in, in Jesus 600 years after this. It's really clear for us to look back at history and and see that today, isn't it? But what's the message that we take away from from this particular dream and interpretation? It it actually depends on your perspective, doesn't it? And there's really two groups that that this dream applied to. It applied to the king and his people, and then it applied to the people of God in exile. And what we see in in both of these groups is that, that God is being gracious and revealing himself and his plans to, to this despot of a king. And we see this in our second point this evening, the, uh, God's grace applied to a despot. You know, one of the things which this, this whole episode has established for us as we, we look at Daniel is, is the character of Nebuchadnezzar, as, as though we needed it more established. It, it, it kind of, uh, the, the first week we saw that, that he's this, this conquering king, he was brutal, but then this week we, we bring it down almost to a, to a micro level. We get to know the man himself. 
And he was a king who, who lived on a hairpin and trigger, wasn't he? He was ready to kill all his advisors and wise men because they couldn't answer the seemingly impossible. But then they were spared because God revealed everything to Daniel. And this is actually an, an act of God's grace. Not just to Daniel or, or the men the king was about to kill, but it was incredibly gracious to the king himself. If you're Nebuchadnezzar, you should feel pretty good about yourself. You're the most powerful king in all the world. You can do anything that you want. Daniel even, even compliments the power of Nebuchadnezzar in verses 37 and 38. We mentioned that earlier, didn't we? He says, Nebuchadnezzar has tremendous power and glory. He holds in his hand men and beasts and birds. You get this picture of total earthly control. Again, it's the kind of language usually reserved for God himself. And Daniel says that, that his kingdom is so great that it's, it's the head of gold on this, this vision that he's had, this statue. But there's a, a very big but to the whole thing, isn't there? But the whole point of the vision is for this great king to recognize that, that this, this power is, is only temporary. And it's incredibly fragile. The power he, was, uh, he has has been, been given to him by, by the true God of heaven and earth. The king is merely a steward of that. There's no authority that he has that isn't derived from outside of himself. And that, that, that hasn't been given to him by God. And when you stop and take a, a close look at the dream, everything in it is meant to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention, isn't it? It's to help him see that, that for all, all his earthly power, and for all the worldly glory, he's not in control of any of it. His throne room is not the room where it happens. The whole dream perspective for the, the king was, was that of an observer, wasn't it? Did you notice that? He wasn't a, a major player in this, this dream. In fact, he was, he was sitting back uh, watching all of this, this take place. He didn't act at all. He merely watched on as the kingdoms of the world are smashed to pieces. As you think about the, the statue itself, it's not, it, it, it's not even a tribute to his kingdom alone, is it? Rather, Babylon shares the tribute with these, these three other earthly kingdoms. And in the end, it didn't matter if the kingdom was at the top or at the bottom. The result was the same, wasn't it? Temporary things are, are temporary things. Whether it's gold or whether it's clay. And maybe Nebuchadnezzar felt he could be proud of the fact that, that his kingdom was at the top and that, that it was, was made of gold. But, but this is just vanity, isn't it? In the end, all the, the kingdoms are, are smashed and they turn to dust and they're blown away. But vanity is a powerful thing, isn't it? I read a, a rumor a few years back about a, a prime minister of this country who, uh, despite much opposition, clung to power. And it, they probably clung for longer than it was helpful or, or healthy for themselves or for the country. And the reason they clung to power, this is the rumor. I'm just spreading rumors tonight, that's all. The reason they clung to power was because there was another prime minister who, who hadn't served for very long, and they wanted to, to be able to say that they, they lasted longer than that, that prime minister. I don't know if that's true or not. That's why I'm not saying names. But it sounds really silly, doesn't it? A person just wants to be remembered as, as not being the, the shortest-serving prime minister. A little power can breed a great deal of vanity, which is what Nebuchadnezzar shows us. He shows us that can it, it can be deadly for the soul, can't it? 
And that's the heart of what we see here in the vision, that, that no kingdom will stand forever except that which God ordains. And all the, the temporary kingdoms of this world are only placeholders. They're also ordained by God. So we, as, as God's people, we ought to be humble and, and careful to be obedient to God uh, as his people and as a nation because he's the one who appoints these kingdoms to rise and to fall. But in the end, the, we, we, we struggle to, we, we, wanna, we have this desire to, to find our place in history. And God says that, that that's, that's actually a pointless chore, isn't it? In the end, we all end up smashed in chaff in the wind. But the fact that God would reveal this to Nebuchadnezzar is incredibly gracious, isn't it? It's incredibly rare for a pagan king, particularly a pagan king on the level of paganism as Nebuchadnezzar, to receive such a revelation from God. Which is why his response is actually so tragic. Nebuchadnezzar appears humbled and he, he honors Daniel and, and his God without actually embracing this God. In fact, we'll see next week that, that he essentially doubles down in his stubbornness and his, his paganism. He's, he's impressed, but he doesn't, he doesn't surrender himself or his kingdom to the God who made it. We see in, in, in this just how, how powerful our, our sinful, hardened hearts can be. Now, I know I say it very often, and, but I'll, it, it bears repeating. If you think that if, if God speaking to you directly like he did to Nebuchadnezzar. If you think him speaking to you directly would, would be enough to cause you to believe. It's passages like this that say otherwise, isn't it? God has spoken in his word and in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament in the Bible. And that has to be enough. What Nebuchadnezzar offers us is a stark warning. Not simply against taking for granted the limits of worldly power. Not simply warning us of our lack of control over our lives in the world, but most of all, it's a warning to us not to neglect the God who is in control of all things and reveals all mysteries. See, the God, this God calls us not simply to acknowledge Him, but to surrender ourselves to Him. And that's what we that's what we hear in our third point this evening. We see God's grace applied to his people. Now we have to remember that, that at its core, Daniel is, is really a, a, a love letter of, from God to his people in exile. It's a, a reminder of, of the, the love and grace of God to a people who probably didn't feel it based on their external circumstances. And what we, we, we see how uh, in this, how, how God is, uh, he's a God that, that despite the sins of his people, that caused their, their kingdom to fall into ruin and for them to be carried off by their enemies. That the, Despite these things, that, that God has a, has a plan to redeem them because he loves them and he applies his grace to them. And that's, that's the great truth. That, that great truth applies to us today, doesn't it? Now I want to give us one sort of overarching principle uh, from this vision followed by three brief encouragements for us from it this evening. The principle is, is that if, if this revelation is good enough for the king, then it should be good enough for little people like us. What was Nebuchadnezzar's problem, his, his real heart problem, was that he was his god. His power was his idol. 
And in the end, all the idols, all the things that we look for meaning for, look for meaning from outside of God, get smashed, don't they? God in this vision is revealing that that to Nebuchadnezzar, but but uh, Nebuchadnezzar squanders that. And there's times in our lives when when the things that that we think give us value, the things that that we look to for for meaning, for purpose, for identity, there are times in our lives when those things get, get smashed. And when the, the person you thought you loved leaves you for another. When the job that you thought would, would give you purpose and, and, and money and, and make you happy starts to make you miserable or even makes you redundant. You know, kids, when you fall short of the marks that you work so hard for in school, you know, there's, there's loads of these things that we, we think give us purpose and meaning. These things that we, we work so hard at because we think they define us. God, God says it all gets it all gets smashed and turned to chaff. Who we really are and our true value is found in the great God of heaven and earth alone. And even when we feel like we're we're in exile, like Daniel, and the, the whole world seems hostile to us, God tells us to continue to look to him by faith. He offers us three encouragements this evening from from this vision, because uh, because this this vision wasn't only for Nebuchadnezzar. It was recorded and written down here and passed down for, for God's people uh, throughout the ages. And so three encouragements for, for people in exile tonight. First, uh, this is a reminder to us that, that no kingdom exists without God's explicit permission. No kingdom exists without God's explicit permission, even, even the ones that we feel are hostile to us. One of the most uh, profound things, I think, about politics in this country happens right after a general election. When the, the leader of the party that, that wins control of, of parliament goes to the queen and is invited to form a government. Now, I'll have you know, lots of people outside of this country think that that's weird. And, it, and it's a bit pointless. But the, the, the queen really doesn't do anything, does she? But the government cannot be formed and cannot rule the kingdom without the invitation, the express explicit invitation of the queen. And what Daniel reminds us of is, is that no earthly ruler reigns without the permission of the great king, the God of heaven and earth. We, we may question that. And it may appear to our eyes that, the, that, that God has, has given up on our world or ceded authority or, or perhaps never really had the authority to begin with. It, it may appear that, that he, like the, like the queen, is sort of a, a passive observer in the whole process who, who turns up for the ceremony. What Daniel shows us is that, that he is in fact the God who is guiding all of history to, its own, to his own ends. That worldly power is fragile and temporary. Even the, the kingdoms of gold and silver are nothing more than dust that's easily blown away by the true kingdom. The second encouragement is that that grace received is, is actually sufficient for the here and now. Notice what happened to Daniel because he was faithful to God and lived with godly character even, even before an evil king like Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel not only survived the episode, but he was honored for it. I think it's important for us to, to realize that God is, is gracious to his people, even in exile. That he's gracious to us even when, when we, we live in a secular culture that is, that, that is hostile to us. As followers of Jesus, Daniel wasn't wasn't blessed by God because he 
he took it upon himself to seize that moment. But because he, he looked to God when there was nowhere else to look. And he trusted God when there was nowhere else to turn. And he allowed God to use him according to his purpose, not Daniel's purpose. And at the end of the story, Daniel was still in exile, wasn't he? He was still living in a, in a foreign and hostile land. But he would have been reminded that the God he served is the one true God. And he's good. And he's gracious. And that grace is sufficient for the here and the now. And you know, in many ways we're, we're far better off than Daniel. Because we've seen the rock of our salvation, haven't we? We've seen that rock that has crushed the kingdoms of this world in Christ Jesus. And we see the, the kingdom of God spreading to fill the whole world. And it seems painfully slow at times. But we have a God who has not only revealed secret things, but has revealed His deep love and grace for us in His Son. We have a God who, who has paid for our sins in His blood. So how can we possibly lose heart? His grace is sufficient in all the sufferings of life. The third encouragement, and the last encouragement, is that in the end we will all be answerable to the one king. The thing that went completely over Nebuchadnezzar's head was the simple truth of the, the dream that he had been given. That there's in fact one king, and his kingdom is coming, and it will be the only kingdom in the end. It will fill the whole earth. And what that means for, for the Nebuchadnezzars of this world and what it means for, for us is that one day, someday, the powerful together with, with all of us little people will all stand before the one true king and we'll have to answer to him for the things that we've done. It's like what the, the chessboard philosophers like to say, you know, at the, at the end of the game, the king and the pawn get put back into the same box. Well, Daniel says that, that at the end, the king and the pawn get put back in the same box. It's the inevitable reality of life in this world. Because this world belongs to its maker, its sustainer, its redeemer. And that should be massively encouraging to us, shouldn't it? In a world that's, that's so full of, of brokenness and pain. It should be massively encouraging to us in a world that's, that, that has gotten extremely good at, at pointing out abuses of power that has absolutely no answer for them. Some of you may have suffered under, under some form of abuse. Daniel and his friends would have experienced all kinds of abuses in, in, in their time in Babylon. God says there's an answer for that. And he is the answer. And our world is, is on a one-way trajectory towards his kingship. See, the whole point of the vision is that there is a room where it happens. But it isn't the throne room or halls of power in this world. The room where it happens is the throne room of our great and sovereign God. Whether you're a despot king or a, a simple believer, the calling of our great God is to submit all of our lives to him because he, is a, he alone is worthy of, of all of our trust, all of our faith, all of our love, and all of our worship. Amen. Let us pray.